All right, welcome back to the Ottawa Studios of Inside My Canoe Head. I am your host, Dr. D. Today we're talking about how I survived a hurricane and what was the experience like. So sit back, grab yourself a favorite beverage, let's get at it. All right, welcome back. Thanks again for joining us. Listen, what a hurricane. Now, I'll preface all the comments here that Hurricane Lee did land as a tropical storm and quickly developed into a post-tropical storm. Had sustained winds in my location of somewhere around 75 to 80 kilometers an hour, which is below the hurricane strength threshold and gusts well into 100, 110 kilometers an hour. Again, still well without below the hurricane category one standard but a significant and impactful storm why and the most important part of this is not that i was punched upside the head by a category three but i saw what the public sector's reaction is what the information they posted is what they told people what they suggested people do during the middle of a crisis and that gives you firsthand experience that is invaluable so today we are going to talk about the who the what and what did the government say? But first, thanks again for all of the supporters sending out all of your pluses, minuses, and indifferent comments about the quality and detail contained in each episode. I appreciate everything. Please, if there's something you'd love to talk about, good, bad, or indifferent, drop me a line at jeff at preparednesslabs.ca or hop over to any one of our social media and drop me a DM. I get those directly not somebody on the staff so feel free if you want to give it to me the host with two gears here i am let her fly all right well i was down in halifax uh, for a pretty cool opportunity to be a disaster preparedness expert on the canadian on cbc which is the canadian broadcasting corporation who are doing some interviews with families and their disaster preparedness for the upcoming hurricane, and in general, what they thought, how prepared they were. We went through a little exercise, and then I did some expert assessment as to how ready they were and gave them a score out of 10. Fun exercise. The episode itself will be aired on the 13th of October in the CBC program, Marketplace. So with that, uh, I got the opportunity to ride out the hurricane in Enfield, Nova Scotia at my sister-in-law's house. A shout out to that awesome group of people. My wonderful, I don't know what you call them, but Sully the dog is incredible. A big golden retriever, just the happiest, go lucky, lovable, you know, 80 pound lap dog that you've ever had. Sully, I swore I would give you a shout out in the next episode. And there you go. And to my three godchildren, Alia, Lily, uh, Jake, and Natty, and the other house guests. Uh, it was fabulous spending time with you. It was wonderful. Happy to be there. Happy to have a lot of fun. Happy to fight with Sully the dog when we were cutting down trees in the backyard. But hey, you got to have fun in the middle of a disaster. So I had the opportunity to be there and ride it out. So it was not different than the standard uh, family. There was mom and dad and, and three kids and a house guest and a dog and a cat living in 
uh, what I refer to as rural suburbia. So if you think about these outlying communities that are about 20, 30 minute highway drive outside the main city, the pop-up is a little bit of suburbia. It's like this little piece of suburbs out in the middle of nowhere. That will describe Shubenacadie. It'll describe East Hance, West Hance, on uh, these areas outside of Halifax. So the wind gust itself I talked about, uh, that just really it struck. It was interesting because the time of day, I think, matters in these things. Uh, the real winds picked up and the rain picked up around 11 p.m. And on a Friday night, that was uh, that was pretty cool because I had just finished uh, interviews for the day and I was getting from downtown Halifax. So I thought I took a quick look around to just do a bit of demographic. Like, here we are. We're at the cusp of a hurricane. Landing in Nova Scotia, we're in Nova Scotia's capital city. It's right on the ocean. The winds are starting to howl. The rain is coming down sideways. What are the people doing? So I went right in the heart of the beast in downtown Halifax. And what were they do? They were all lined up for the bars. Every one of them. Every lineup was packed. The bouncers were there. All of the individuals were scantily clothed, um, getting soaking wet in the rain, ready to party and give her for the night at the onset of a hurricane. Uh, I spoke to one or two of the bouncers along the way and they said, yeah, they might see, it looks like maybe, you know, a 10, maybe 15% reduction in the number of people that are there, but really nothing all that noticeable. The lineups were still there. They were still smacking cover charges down and everybody was ready to give her. Went down to the casino. The place was jam packed. Had to go all the way down there to try to find a casino taxi. They're the fast ones. Um, to, to, to get me home, right? So, I mean, it was hilarious that in initial survey of going around after talking to people all day about their individual family preparedness and how they were ready or not ready for the pending storm and what they think they could learn from an exercise that they went through, I'm looking at the youth of our society and a bunch of different older demographics down at the casino and they really didn't give a you-know-what, right? They just didn't care we'll come back to that when we talk about messaging um the rain came down really really hard for about three to four hours it was about 4 a.m where i was in halifax when the rain really stopped so if you think about a significant cataclysmic rainfall event where we were on the eastern side of the eye was very much a wind event and not a rain event. So if you think about, we talked about this in the last episode when I went in depth about how hurricanes are formed and the fact that they move counterclockwise. And on the western side of a low is where all the water is. And on the eastern side of a low is where all the wind is. So where I was located was on the windward side, not on the waterlogged side. So we did get significant amounts of rain, but only for a three to four hour period. Whereas as you got closer to the center of the eye fall, which is around the southwestern uh, part of Nova Scotia in around Digby Neck, if you know the area just about the Bay of Fun- where the Bay of Funday opens up off of the left-hand corner of uh, Nova Scotia, 
that's where you see a concentration of both. So now you're getting both the significant rain effect and the significant wind effect. And then as you start moving out to the western across the Bay of Funday into southwestern New Brunswick, you have less of a wind effect, but you have much more impactful water effect. So if you think about this wall of weather coming, the center is just a bad place to be. The western side is going to be really, really rainy. And the, uh, the eastern side is going to be really, really windy. So I was on the windy side. So we looked about that short and then then the rain continued on for a good 24 hours. But that, after that point, it was just your standard East Coast rainstorm. It was nothing significant other than the winds. Now, I put some pictures up on uh, Instagram about some winds that took down a bunch of trees in the backyard of my sister-in-law's place and across the, across the street. Uh, we had a tree come down on one of the houses. But other than that, uh, the wind, again, it wasn't a hurricane-level wind when it hit. So there are only trees that had some significant damage already that were impacted. When you looked around the neighborhood, there weren't that many trees that were down. And this is, again, this is the localized experience on the eastern windward side of a tropical storm when it hit. So just gives you an idea. But the power did go out. Now the power went out and remained out for any number of uh, hours and one or two days for a couple of uh, rural areas, uh, we lost power simply for like three to four hours. It was nothing impactful. Uh, I had lots of power banks to deal with that. But it just goes to show that it is a very, very differentiating experience depending on where you're physically located in reference to the the uh, landfall location of the eye of the hurricane. And this is why you keep hearing I would we're not really well explained and I'll get to this in a messaging in a minute is when they keep talking about the landfall of the hurricane what does that mean what does it mean to you and me and Joe Blow sitting down in our living room with our jigs dinner ready to go and we're wondering what does that mean like how do you, so what so what the eye is landing somewhere? What am I supposed to take away from that other than some newscaster trying to sound smart, right? So how does that impact you as somebody interested in disaster preparedness? How does that know? Well, this is where you understanding how the hurricane, how the threat operates and what the likely effects are going to be center and concentrated where you are. So a couple lessons learned from that Um Short power outages are, are nothing really significant to deal with. Even your freezer foods are fine. Everything's fine. Uh, uh, my sister-in-law's husband cooked up a wicked big massive breakfast in case we needed to have bacon for the rest of the day if the power was out. I mean, little precautions like that are fine. But, so, uh, you know, a lesson learned that my sister-in-law's family learned is if you're going to use a camping stove as your intended backup, power or backup cooking supply make sure there's enough fuel make sure you've got it in a in a well-ventilated area uh and make sure it works really really well so it's just having familiarity so it's like buying buying a kit or you know these people who buy these commercial off-the-shelf emergency kits you probably should take that thing apart see what it is try using the different stuff out because the time you don't want to figure out how to use a piece of equipment that you're expecting to support you in times of an emergency is the emergency itself. That's part of the idea of rehearsing a plan. It's not, you don't have to rehearse an evacuation by practicing driving down the road in a panic state. What you need to do is practice the evacuation so you gather the stuff together that you would normally take and see what 
timeline you were looking at. And then if you're shel- for your shelter in place plan, as we do with most hurricanes, unless we're at a low lying area and an evacuation is ordered. And again, the last episode went in detailed about how that works. Uh, we're going to shelter in place for a hurricane, right? Because you can't, um, if the hurricane's going to hit Halifax, for example, you can't evacuate 600,000 people. It's just, it's just illogical and not possible. So the hurricane's going to smoke, say it smoked the city head on like Hurricane Juan did at a hurric- and it landed at a Category 2, just below a Category 3 hurricane and did some pretty significant damage, but everybody was in their homes, right? So your shelter in place, what does that look like? So if you're planning on using a camping stove or some way of heating coffee or heating food um, during the hurricane, then you probably need to take the time to practice doing that prior to the hurricane's arrival. So that you know where everything is, that you can light it, that you have everything that you need to get it up and running. It's just a little lesson well learned um, and very, very important. Now we move on to the information I talked to you about and the information that was set out by the public sector resident facing preparedness communications for the hurricane. Now, Emergency Management Nova Scotia, Emergency Management New Brunswick were consistently sending out uh, quality messaging about the impending storm, giving people links to uh, their web pages that showed them about hurricane preparedness, uh, what the things they may want to consider, uh, that type of thing. Uh, I've put together a list um, that I gave or a guide, a two-page guide PDF that I'm going to put up on preparednesslabs.ca uh, later today that'll be available for free download. It's just, it's it's a primer, right? All checklists, what checklists are good for and, and their primary purpose is to get, to, to be the catalyst for the conversation starter, right? No one is going to have a better outcome because they followed a checklist, right? Let's be clear. The idea of the checklist is you're, the topic has now been initiated. You're going to sit around and you're going to sit down with your family and you're going to talk about what this looks like when it happens. So that guide's going up uh, by close of business today on preparednesslabs.ca. Be a free download for you. Love a shout out if you enjoy what the contents of it are. But the messaging that came out was generic and it was general and it was vague. And I spoke about this in uh, several previous episodes about preparedness communications. It's the lead subject matter that we study at at our firm, Preparedness Labs Incorporated, is uh, public sector resident facing preparedness communications. And I even had a uh, prominent member of the Halifax community reach out to me and, and kind of point that out that they're starting to that they started to see what I was talking about on my Matter of Facts podcast guest uh, host when I was there um, earlier on in the month. Uh, and that's available on Spotify and, and all the different platforms. Please have a listen to that episode where I'm interviewed and, and we talk about disaster preparedness. But the idea being is, is that if the city of Halifax is issuing um, immediate notification to 600,000 people, if you know Halifax, the geography is all over the place. There are people who are going to be flooded out. There are people with winds down and there are going to be people that are high and dry and perfectly fine. And by you issuing one message for the people of Halifax, it's important to get the message out there, but it is going to be general. And this individual reached out to me and said, I'm starting, I, I see what you mean. I see that uh, he was way out in Coal Harbor Way, for those of you who know Nova Scotia, um, out by the ocean there. And he was 
having a different experience than somebody, you know, 100 kilometers inland, but he was getting the same message from Emergency Management Nova Scotia. And that's not a fault of EMO Nova Scotia. They speak to the province. The key message out of this is, is your primary source for emergency preparedness communications and in-event notices is your local municipal office. So if you're in the municipality of East Hants, if you're in the uh, Halifax Regional Municipality, if you're in the municipality of Shelburne, if you're in the Guysborough County, wherever you may be in the province of Nova Scotia or wherever you are on the face of this earth, the primary most accurate up-to-date information is by far likely to be your municipal and local emergency management. We work with municipal emergency managers at the firm Preparedness Labs Incorporated. We work with them and, and help educate them on how to better position their preparedness communications to speak to the diverse nature and geography that is present in their communities. And so it's very important, but it's just a note that that some people were starting to realize that, you know, one generic message for a, uh, I live in the city of Ottawa, for a city of Ottawa talks, they talk to a million people. There's 6,500 kilometers of roads in our city. It's a massive city. It's far bigger than New York. We're just big in a geographical sense. So, I mean, the the experience of a really bad storm in the city of Ottawa can, can be considerably different and the hazards considerably different all around the city of Ottawa. So even then you almost have to talk about getting into neighborhood level emergency preparedness information. And that brings me to the next point is that that wasn't available. Uh, I looked uh, at East Hants where I was staying. I looked at Halifax Regional Municipality and I looked at a couple other sites and it was very, very difficult to find any neighborhood specific emergency preparedness advice, crisis communications, statement of actions, response updates or whatever it may be. Or when they did do that, and I'll give you a prime example. There's something called the Halifax or Nova Scotia 511. So it's like Ottawa 311. It's just an information update. What's going on? Non-emergency type stuff. But they were more. They were being used for road closures, for example. So some at one point they put out hashtag Shore Road closed uh, because of flooding. Choose alternate route. And one individual answered that tweet and just said which Shore Road. And he showed a list of. A, you know, I stopped counting at a dozen different shore roads in Nova Scotia. He's like, which one are you talking about? And this was the point. The point is, is that in their expeditious desire to get a piece of information out, they put out shore road is closed. Well, there are dozens of shore roads in the province of Nova Scotia, and you had to do some pretty significant investigating to try to find out what shore road they were talking about. So, if you're in the world of preparedness communications, don't make your target audience work to find out the information that you should provide to them clearly and up front, right? If it's Shore Road in Shelburne, nailed it. There's only one Shore Road in Shelburne, but there's four of them in the Halifax Region Municipality. You know what I mean? That type of thing. You, 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 when you start to be confusing and when you start to leave a question mark in your in your target audience's mind, that target audience is now going to go somewhere else. 
You're no longer going to be considered a valid source of information in times of crisis because they can't figure out what you're trying to tell them, right? And if you're giving, you know, look out for flash flooding. Okay, what's that mean? What does flash flooding mean? What, what are you telling me? Don't travel on ro- rural roads that cross over rivers because culverts may be swept away. Okay, now you're talking specifics. If you can look at those two different messages and think about them for a second, you see that there's different levels of information. So something was very, very clear that came out of that experience is that the messaging, they were trying to get the messaging out as quick as they could. And by nature, the message was generic and and vague. And so you have a responsibility when you're list, when you're in an area affected by significant disruption or a natural hazard has been realized, there's an emergency, there's a disaster going on, you have to figure out well in advance where your preferred sources of information are. Who are you going to go to to find out what's going on, right? Think about uh, the city of Montreal, Montreal. I don't speak very good French, so I don't try to attempt that here. (laughs) I'd probably turn off in pain if I did. But the point being is the beautiful, wonderful, vibrant city of Montreal Canada. It is an incredible place to go. It is not the same. It is not the same. Whether you're on the island of Montreal, North Shore, South Shore, Eastern Township, wherever you may be, there's significant different set of hazards in each area that when realized could set a, a significant different set of problems for the residents, right? Which you, you may need to tell somebody on the island to evacuate but not somewhere else, right? You understand what I'm saying? So when you look at the ge- geography of the city of Montreal and you look at high rain and high wind events, if you're old enough to think back to the ice storm and what happened in around the Montreal area and, and up the western uh, approaches of the Ottawa River, and then if you had uh, the government releasing important information like uh, public shelters, where are the public shelters going to be? Well, Are you going to dance around radio stations in Montreal or Ottawa or Halifax, Nova Scotia, trying to figure out who's talking about that? Or are you going to find that out ahead of time? Or even better yet, and this is what is so important in in the research that I have, it's about building your community, right? It's about, so my community, uh, Valdor or something like that is, is going to go through an event shortly. We need to get together as a community and figure out how we're going to talk to each other. Figure out, you know, if I live in the, you know, say I live in Vanier or I live in Orleans in in Ottawa or I live in Bedford or I live in Lower Sackville or Enfield or Coal Harbor, uh, what's the community voice that's there to talk to the municipality on behalf of the residents to talk about emergency management. It generally doesn't exist and it needs to be started by somebody because then you're able to influence decisions that are important to you, right? You have a preferred place for a community center. You have a preferred place for a community shelter, something that makes sense. You don't want the city announcing where the shelter locations are in the middle of the emergency. That needs to be standard information available to everybody. You know, if communications go down during an emergency, which depending on what it is, it could take down the cell towers, right? Take down the cell towers, take down some of the radio towers. You don't know. You may not be able to communicate. But if you set these conditions in advance 
and your population knew that the city will be distributing humanitarian aid from this community center as soon as we can after the onset of an emergency and we will be using that community center as a shelter in any emergency, then I I don't have to talk to you. You don't have to tell me that that's where I'm supposed to go if I'm looking for timely and up-to-date accurate information or if I'm looking for some type of relief supply, right? That needs to be set up in advance. In the emergency is not the time to be deciding when these emergency shelters are happening, right? This is just not the time. You need to be doing those decisions ahead of time. So enough of the rant on that one. But all in all, the experience was pretty interesting. Sitting, going through it was an experience that was really, really interesting. I've never done it. So I found it uh, quite enlightening, both on the information gathering perspective, what people were doing, talking to neighbors and how they felt. In, in reality, it wasn't that big of a discomfort uh, for anybody in the immediate area where I was. But what it did do for a lot of people is it answered the question, am I ready to navigate this, right? A lot of people were saying, whoosh, I got away with that one. Well, maybe you did, but maybe you just had a lesson. And it's time for everybody out there to to listen to that lesson and say, what did this look like for me? What went well? What didn't go well? So Hurricane Lee, thanks for dropping by. Appreciate your visit. You tootalooed off to the north. You got some wind and rain to PEI and went on to just mess everybody's uh, rest of their weekends plan up in uh, Newfoundland and northern Quebec. So thank you very much, but uh, don't come back again. So there you go. A little bit of a story on what it's like to walk through a hurricane. Not, I mean, it wasn't this massive thing. I already said that. Uh, I don't want to belabor it and go on for 45 minutes to talk about something that really was not that significant. But lessons learned. Ask yourself right now, if the power goes out in your house right now and doesn't come on for 14 days, are you ready to go? That is a question you got to look in the mirror and ask yourself. And if you're not, time to sit back, pull out your family emergency preparedness plan, sit down with those you love and those for whom you're going to be responsible and figure out the missing parts. Walk through it so that everybody knows what's going on. And everybody understands what you're about to do. So thanks for joining us this week And Inside My Canoe Head. We'll be back on uh, Thursday or Friday with another interesting, incredible episode. I'm so looking forward to it. Uh, drop us a uh, thumbs up, thumbs down, thumbs in the middle, whatever your comments may be at jeffatpreparednesslabs.ca. DM me on any one of our social media. Thanks again for joining us and supporting this podcast. We're well into our 200th plus episode, and we are here to provide unlimited free emergency preparedness education for Canada and the world. Take care and we'll see you next week.